ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Let's get amongst it. You got, you got something for me, Norman? I do. I got a present not so long ago. And this was a present from an anonymous Corona caster. So right at the beginning of the pandemic, remember I was obsessed with going to Rottnest Island. Yes, and I accused you of being obsessed with quokkas, which I don't think you ever really were, but uh, you kind of ran with it. One of the Corona cast audience thought I was and sent me quokka socks and has recently said... You've gone past quokkas, you need a new pair of socks, and has sent me these, which are medical socks. Medical socks, amazing. Got a, what do you call it, a stethoscope? Well, yeah, I'm not that far out of medicine, I remember what a stethoscope. <laughs> what, do you, what do you call it, a stethoscope? I'm a doctor. A stethoscope, <laughs> hypodermic, and so on. So I will wear these with pride, uh, thanks to the anonymous Coronacast are there. Please do not take this, everybody else that you've got to send us gifts, do not send gifts send charity to somebody else. On the contrary, I haven't received any gifts from... Uh, well, you can have my quokka socks now that I'm graduating. I'm known for my love of fine wines and expensive jewellery. Uh, the coronacasters should know. Okay, bribery and corruption. <laughs> oh, well, let's get into Coronacast, a show all about the coronavirus and often about other nasties as well. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor coming to you from Jagera and Turable Land. And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan coming to you from Gadigal Land. So, Norman, as, as is our want these days, we're going to start the Coronacast with a bit of a wrap-up of the news of the moment. And one of my, I shouldn't laugh, it actually did sort of make me laugh when I saw it, a piece of news hot off the press from the Australian Institute of Health and Welfare this morning is that sports injuries are recovering to their pre-COVID levels. So there was always a certain number of sports injuries in Australia that dipped over the pandemic as people were forced to stay at home and now... Nature is healing. People are out there getting injured all over again. That's right. So the nature can heal all over again. These are admissions to hospital for sports injuries. Yeah, I really shouldn't laugh. I really shouldn't laugh about it. They're pretty serious. It's not a laughing matter. My groin is hurting. Um, and we'll, um, and yeah, so it's, they're getting back up there, which just means we're out there and playing more. Another piece of COVID news on a slightly more serious scale is there's been a lot of coverage in the last week or so about what was happening in the Wuhan lab. The, this perennial question that people have had around the coronavirus is where it came from. Did it come from the market, from natural sources? Did it perhaps come from a lab either maliciously or by accident? What's the latest? Well, the latest is not a scientific publication, but it's an investigation by the Murdoch Press in London. Um, and we'll put a link to that on our website, which suggests that there were gain-of-function studies being done on coronaviruses in that lab, which justifies what they've been pushing for a while, which is that it was a lab leak. Um, and they seem to have recruited more researchers into this story. Whether or not that's exactly what happened or not is yet to be revealed and may well never be revealed, but um, they continue to investigate. Am I right in thinking the sorts of studies that they're talking about are important parts of understanding how viruses work? Well, it's controversial. I mean, gain of function was banned by the Obama regime they are potentially dangerous pieces of research where you're manipulating the virus. And what presumably they were trying to do originally was find out if they pulled a virus from the environment, was it a pandemic virus? And what was the genetic signature of a pandemic virus so they knew whether to be worried about it? The allegation in this article was that it got caught up in bioweapons research. 
I suspect we'll just never know here. Yeah, it's one of those ones, we've talked about it a bunch of times, we've talked to people like Rhona McIntyre about the way that these could, even if it wasn't this time, it is something that could happen at some stage. We've also sp- spoken to people like Eddie Holmes who have been to the Wuhan markets and saw what they thought was the origin story. Like you say, we probably never know. No, uh, the balance is probably still with the with the markets, but next time it could be a manipulated virus, uh, particularly with CRISPR technology, which is genetic editing, which makes it very easy and very cheap to manipulate viruses. So there is a serious biosecurity threat from labs, whether they be in China or elsewhere, or illicit labs run by terrorist organisations. This is not a fantasy. And into some happier news, a couple of people who were real heroes of ours during the pandemic have been honoured at the King's Birthday Awards, which was earlier this week, Anthony McCarley and Juliet O'Brien. And if you don't recognise those names, you will definitely recognise the websites that they uh, ran, covidlive.com.au and Juliet's website, covid19data.com.au. Yes, and we relied on them pretty heavily. Um, I relied on them for the 730 reports that we did. Often that data were, those data were far more complete than the data we were getting from government. People like Anthony and Juliet, or Anthony and Juliet in particular, were, I don't know how much sleep they got, but it wasn't very much. And they were always ready to help with additional data and an additional analyses. And now Juliet is moving on to climate data um, in, the, in a similar vein. Yep, another pressing threat facing humanity. And another familiar face during the pandemic, especially for Victorians, but kind of for all of us, was Brett Sutton, who is who was the Chief Health Officer for Victoria, who's now moved to the CSIRO. Yep, to be Head of Health and Biosecurity. So the pin-up boy moves on. <laughs> Many a bedspread was uh, printed in his honour. Yeah, did an amazing job during COVID. And so, Norman, on to some meteor topics. And I want to talk about something we've spoken a lot about in the last few weeks, really throughout the whole pandemic, is long COVID, this real pressing problem that we have. People have COVID, it's bad, it can be deadly when you have it in the acute phase, but then also there's this huge burden of disease from people with prolonged symptoms. Some people are unable to work and there's a real kind of push on to find out what causes it and how we can prevent it. And one study has really caught both of our eyes this week and it's quite tantalising because it uses a really common diabetes drug and seems to have found some promising results for using that um, to prevent long COVID. Now, would you believe there is a diabetes drug which is not Ozempic? Oh. <laughs> and um, so this is a very old drug, a very cheap drug, out of patent, easy to use and very safe. It's called metformin. Just a bit of background here. This is a randomised trial conducted in the United States where they were trying to compare metformin ivermectin and a drug called fluvoxamine, which is an SSRI, like one of these antidepressant-type drugs, although it's used for obsessive-compulsive disorder. Anyway, they were comparing these initially to look at their, their ability to prevent severe disease in COVID. And they, they were, this was a study done before, you know, just as vaccination was, was coming in. And before we had any of the antiviral drugs that have come on now since. That's absolutely right. What the initial was called the primary outcome, which was published in the New England Journal of Medicine, what that showed was that ivermectin and fluvoxamine had no effect on preventing severe disease, whereas metformin did. It reduced the risk of severe disease by about 40%, which is quite a lot and certainly statistically significant. A secondary outcome that they were looking for and following this group of people through for um, a year or so was whether or not these drugs had any effect. It was a 14-day course, whether they had any effect on the incidence of long COVID. 
And what they found was, in brief, was that ivermectin and fluvoxamine had no effect on the incidence of, of long COVID, whereas metformin reduced the risk of long COVID by about the same amount, in fact, about 40%. That's a lot. It was uh, quite significant. So people who didn't have metformin were up at a rate of about 10% getting long COVID, and it was around about 6% for people who were on metformin. By the way, an, an additional finding in this study was that people who had booster vaccines had only about a 1% chance of getting uh, long COVID. So vaccines did, you know, that wasn't the purpose of the study, did have an effect. So this drug, which is also being used for anti-aging, anti-cancer, seems to have a lot of different potential effects, seems to have an effect on COVID. Now, if you go back to the origins of metformin, it was once used as an anti-influenza drug. And it does have antiviral effects. And it's likely this was an antiviral effect. And they, had, they were given metformin within a few days of developing a positive test and symptoms. So what could this mean for COVID treatment nowadays, given that we actually, so as you said, this was done before we had things like the antivirals that we were talking about last week, Paxlovid, Molnupiravir. Is it still relevant now that we have purpose-built drugs? The other potential cause of the reduction in long COVID with metformin is that it does reduce inflammation in the body and settle down something called oxidative stress, which is why people use it as an anti-aging agent, whether it works for that is another matter. But people are talking about using it with Paxlovid and whether you prevent the rebound that we've talked about on Coronacast before with Paxlovid, with metformin, and that's yet to be proven. But they could work together. There is a potential interaction, whereas if, you t- if you're taking metformin for reducing your blood sugar in diabetes, because it is a diabetes drug, uh, Paxlovid, for the time you're on Paxlovid, may reduce its effectiveness in reducing blood sugar. But it may well increase the effectiveness of Paxlovid uh, by preventing rebound, but the data on that are not yet certain. Right. So a couple of nuances here, but perhaps this is something that we might see coming into treatment in the coming period of time? Yeah, as 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 the evidence appears. But remember, it's as cheap as chips and the safety is well documented. So it's a well-known drug. So it's a known quantity. Interesting. So we need to revisit something that we talked about last week, which was about hospitalisation stats and just set the record straight on a couple of things. Yeah, we were talking last week about how New South Wales data on hospitalisations, which were so much higher, in fact, than other jurisdictions, you know, three times higher, four times higher in some instances. And why, why was that? And we speculated, was it about antiviral prescribing and so on? What I should have done was really explain this further, and let me just briefly explain what's going on here. In this great federation of ours, we measure COVID cases differently. And uh, amazingly, there was a a glorious period of time where it was kind of similar between states, and now it's different. What happens in New South Wales is there's this data linkage between if you test positive on a a, a rapid antigen test and you register that notification and you get admitted to hospital, irrespective of what the hospital does, that's tightly linked. So then it registers as a COVID admission. Now, you could have come in with a sports injury, for example, and, uh, and have COVID, um, and that would register as a, as a case. Um, so it's, it's people who, are red, who come in with COVID or because of COVID. It gets a bit more complicated than that compared to other states. For example, other states, naughtily, probably, 
drop off their statistics after two weeks. So if you come in with COVID, you're in ICU being ventilated and you're still in ICU after a couple of weeks, there are other jurisdictions where you will fall off the statistics, which is misleading in some ways in terms of the impact of COVID on our hospitals. The other issue is the extent to which, since let's say somebody comes in with worsening heart failure or worsening chronic obstructive lung disease and they have COVID, is the COVID causing the worsening or is it the worsening that would have happened anyway? And that's a matter of judgment, but it's likely in other jurisdictions you're going to be registered as coming in with a worsening of your heart failure and not register as a COVID admission, whereas in New South Wales, you're more likely to be captured as a COVID admission. They're going to sort this out in New South Wales, is what I'm told, and in the next few weeks, you might see quite a rapid reduction in hospitalisations because they're going to make their data a bit more like other states. What should we take away from this, apart from the fact that it's pretty confusing? Well, one of the things that we didn't talk about was antivirals. They're pretty good in New South Wales, as they are in other states with antivirals. I was wrong to imply that that was not the case and they have good electronic linkage there. I think the key here is that if you test positive on a rapid engine test, you should register that as positive because all sorts of things happen. Uh, notifications can go through to your GP or to Health Direct, but you should be talking to your GP ahead of time, particularly if you're vulnerable, so that they can write out, for example, a PATH form for you. Pathology form. A pathology form to get a PCR, for example, if you need it. So you don't have to wait for a general practitioner's appointment and it speeds it up. And GPs quite like that. And there's also other form filling that you can do. So I think if you're vulnerable, have a conversation with your GP, regardless of where you live in Australia, about how you can get ready for COVID so that if you're due for an antiviral, it happens as quickly as possible. Talk to your GP and make a plan ahead of time, especially if you're in a vulnerable group. Feels like some really good advice to end on. Yes, it is. And we'll see everybody socks on, socks off next week. See you then. Bye.